Great. Once again, welcome. I told Mike earlier, it's the John Pinnell Show today. I don't always, I mean, it's a lot to do, but I'm glad to be able to do it, especially uh, having crushed my finger last August to be able to play guitar. I do struggle every once in a while with some of those chords, especially the easiest chord a guitar player can learn is the G chord, and that has become my nemesis now. It's hard for me to get my broken finger out of the way of other notes, but we're getting it done, so I'm very grateful to be able to play again. I wanted to run through just a couple of announcements. I had mentioned the pastors and wives getting together in Indianapolis, the five states represented normally, and there could be some more from Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, and Wisconsin. And sometimes we see we're right there next to Kentucky, so we'll see some of the Kentucky folks slip up and uh, hang out with us for the weekend. That's happening next Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, so keep that in prayer. It's always a good time to get together with the brothers and sisters, and they treat us really well when we go down to Indianapolis. Um, Horizon Christian Fellowship, they have uh, the Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible College there, and they have a 99-acre campus and uh, house the Bible College and a Christian school and is None of that is going on at the time. There are some daycare stuff going on, but it's really just a gorgeous place, and it looks like the weather's going to be decent while we're there as well, so that's always nice. So keep that in prayer. Again, pray for your brothers and sisters as they're out and about, and perhaps yourselves, you'll be planning those trips. Uh, We want you to be safe. If you're able to, the first full weekend of August, August 6th through the 8th, we have the Family camp, our 10th annual family camp here on the church grounds and sign-up sheet is on the lobby hutch. And so those who are here, if you'd like to sign up, you can do so. I know that the sign-up is important for us as far as getting a head count. We can know how to handle food and also prepare for that weekend. Travis Lieban is going to be joining with us again. Uh, during the family camp weekend, so we have great worship already lined up for us, and uh, we're grateful. Travis Lee just uh, a couple of weeks ago broke a pinky playing guitar again. It's difficult to break your fingers and try to play guitar, and he, playing with his kids, playing soccer, did something that he said he'd broke his finger, but it improved rather quickly, so very thankful for that. He'd asked for prayer about that. Speaking of prayer, I just keep the nation, our nation, in prayer, of course. One of the most distressing emails that I read this week, we already know that inflation is starting to hit us pretty rapidly. But I got an email from one of our suppliers, and I assume we use them at some point. Uh, the name of the company is Church Partners, I think. Anyways, they sent an email out just explaining why the prices are going up. And so in their email, they said prices of chairs. We didn't buy our chairs through them, but prices of chairs, 15%, candles, 10%. Here's the big thing. They get a lot of their products out of Asia. And they said last year at this time, a shipping container from Asia cost $1,200 to get to the United States. 
Now to go to the West Coast, it's $8,000. To the East Coast, it's $15,000 for the same container. So they were in their thing saying, I don't know if they averaged between the West and East Coast, but saying a 600% increase in those shipping containers. And so it is going to hit us hard, I think, very soon. Which is, uh, again, here we are in the book of Revelation, and it kind of all fits of what we're learning about in the book of Revelation, what God said will happen in the last days. We are seeing that take shape more than ever before. There's a change of leadership in Israel. For 12 years, Netanyahu has been the prime minister of Israel, and there's been a changing of the guard this weekend there in Israel. And I mention Israel because the Bible talks about Israel and the focus upon biblical prophecy is there in Israel. The Lord's going to return to Jerusalem, to Israel, uh, not to Washington. He, he can do what he wants when he gets here during the thousand-year reign. But um, scripturally, we know the Lord is coming to Israel. And so there are changes, and we're not quite sure what that means. But keep the nation of Israel in your prayers along with our nation as well. So I put under the announcements worth listening to our friend. We had him here a couple of months ago, David Fiorazzo. I think it was the beginning of May, actually. He was on with Jan Markell, and they have a one-hour show that you can find there. Also, she interviewed him over a course of three days. And so it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Friday, Saturday, Monday, Podcast. So there's the one-hour weekend show, which we'll broadcast on our radio station on Tuesday night with Jan and David Fiorazzo talking. And then they did this other interview where Friday morning, Jan Markell emailed David Fiorazzo and said, David, I think we did the best we can do, but I don't think YouTube will like our conversation. I think we're going to get banned off YouTube over this one. So I don't know if that happened or not or will happen to them, but it is worth listening to. And you can go to olivetreeviews.org and just look up the radio archives and you can find David Fiorazzo in the interview with Jan Markell. All right, this coming Wednesday we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 6 and 7, and I titled that teaching, Finding Grace. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray for our offering. And if you'd like to support the ministry of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, those who are here, of course, we have our agape box in the back of the room. Those who are listening on the radio or perhaps watching through our social media, you can find out information about our church at cclv.org and how to donate to the church there. But we want to just ask God to bless the teaching of his word this morning and also to bless the gifts given to this ministry. So, Father, we come before you today. We thank you, Lord, for the time of worship. We thank you, Lord, that we can build our lives upon you, that you are love, you are agape. And, Lord, you showed and displayed that love through your work upon the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you offer to each one who comes to 
faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do pray for this world. We find ourselves, Lord, kind of post-pandemic, but it's still kind of there in many of our nations and still kind of threatening here in the United States and the nations around us. We're feeling the impact of that, but then we have other things going on, Lord. We know that in our country there's pretty severe droughts in North Dakota and out on the West Coast and down into Arizona. We're in a moderate drought in this area. We can see it, Lord, in our own area that we're in. And, Lord, I'm I'm wondering. I was sharing with my wife about this. And all she responded to me this week was, how many plagues did God send to Egypt? Lord, we've seen a plague of COVID, and it looks like we're watching hyperinflation take place. We're in a course of a drought. These could really come together to come to very trying times in our world, in our country. We've had a change of government. Israel is going through a change of government. We thank you, Father, that you are on the throne, that none of these things happen without your knowledge. And through them, Lord, you are working out your plan. So we pray, Lord, that you would bless the gifts given to this fellowship, that you would bless us, Lord, that you have placed us here at this time, at this hour, to be a witness and a light and a testimony to you. And Lord, we thank you for your word today as we look at Revelation chapter 4. And we get a glimpse of the heavenly throne room. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless our time in your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 4 this morning. The heavenly throne room. John gives us a glimpse here in chapter 4, also we'll find it in chapter 5, chapter 7. We'll get another glimpse of that. Next week will be Father's Day, and so we'll be doing a Father's Day message. We'll step out of the book of Revelation for a special Father's Day message for that weekend. But today we're looking at Revelation chapter 4. And it really begins the third and final division of the book of Revelation As we find in Revelation 119, this is our memory verse for this month, that John was given a divine outline when the Lord told him to write the things that you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So the things which you have seen refers to the glorified body of Jesus Christ that John recorded for us there in chapter 1. The things which are refers to the study of the seven churches that we went through in Revelation's chapter, chapters. I put the S in the wrong spot. It's Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And then uh, the things which will take place after this really takes us from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22 in the book of Revelation as John then gives a glimpse of not only the heavenly throne room of God as we look at today, but in time events that will be taking place in our world at uh, well at a time nearer than we might think. So we use the term eschatology or the doctrine of last things is the meaning of that term. And it refers to in time events, last day events, eschatology. It speaks about the second coming of Jesus Christ 
that includes the regathering of Israel into her land, which has been taking place since the late 19th century. Of course, they became a state, a country, again on May 14th in 1948. But it also will include the rapture of the church. Seven years of tribulation, Jesus' second coming, a millennial reign upon the earth. And so these doctrine of last things, it includes the final judgment of all things. There's the Bema Seat judgment of Christ where believers will stand before the Lord for reward. And there's also will be the great white throne judgment where unbelievers will appear before God for judgment. But then we put all this together. We have at least 1,007 years left. About four weeks, three weeks ago, I read something that I, I don't think I'd heard before, but they talked about the number of harvests that were left upon the earth. And so I kind of looked into that. And there are those who are saying that we have 30 or 40 harvests left upon the earth, and then there won't be enough food to supply the people upon the earth. That, and some have theorized that's why they're trying to build rocket ships to Mars right now. They're trying to get off planet. I'm thinking if there's only 30 harvests left, well, then Jesus is coming very soon. Well, we see the words in parentheses almost in verse 1, where we find after these, or after these things, or after this, it's metatauta, is the Greek words that appear there. And it simply means after this, after these things. And it's as if the Lord has put a parenthesis around verse 1, where he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So it begins and ends with the Greek words, metatauta, after this. So after this, John, after the church age, John looked up, and he was caught up into heaven itself, into heaven's glory. And this brings us into the final section of the book of Revelation, the things that will take place in the last days. So today... We are going to look at a message I entitled The Heavenly Throne Room from Revelation chapter 4. We're going to see a door open in heaven in verse 1, in verses 2 through 5, a throne in heaven, and 6 through 11, the worship in heaven. So we begin with a door in heaven. I just read verse 1. We'll read it again. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. After these things. And so the three divisions of the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, uh, the things which you have seen. Chapters 2 and 3, the things which are the seven churches, the church age. And the third division of the book, brings us to chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22, the remainder of the book of Revelation, those things which will be, those things which are coming upon this earth. And so John's attention 
is directed heavenward. That's a good place to be. When things are on this earth aren't looking so good, quit looking around. But look up. Get your attention heavenward. Look to the Lord. He is our strength and our help. And so John's attention was focused heavenward. He saw a door in heaven that was open before him. He heard a voice of Jesus like a trumpet crying out to him saying, Come up here and I will show you the things that must take place after this. So there's one thing that we notice in the book of Revelation. Those who have studied through the book already know this, but I just want to point it out for us once again, that up to this point, Revelation's chapters 1 through 3, the church has been mentioned, the word church or churches has appeared 19 times in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And we only read the word church once in the remainder of the book. In fact, we'll find it again in the last chapter in verse 16, Revelation 22, verse 16, where it says, I, Jesus, has sent my angel to testify you to you these things in the churches. I am the roots and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So the reason I mention that, we get into chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22 until we see the word church again. The church is missing. It's not talked about. It really gives a picture of and what we will see the bride of Christ worshiping Jesus and God the Father in the throne room of God, the heavenly throne room. We get a picture of a door open in heaven and John being caught up through that open door. It gives us a great picture of the rapture of the church as John is taken up, suddenly snatched away and brought into heaven. Jesus said to us in John 10:9, I am the door and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And there are those in this world who desire to enter into heaven's glory by some other way, some other means other than Jesus. But Jesus said, I am the door. I am the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. So John has shown this door in heaven. And the Lord giving this great invitation by the voice of Jesus, he said, like a trumpet saying, come up here. Many have seen this, and I would agree, this is a type of the rapture of the church where we read in Scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself calling his church to himself in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18, where it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4:17. then we who are alive shall, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We shall be caught up. It is a Greek word, harpazo, to be caught up, to be snatched away is one of the translations of this word that suddenly will be snatched away. It, it has this sense to be snatched away by force. 
caught unaware. As the Lord over and over again in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, Jesus himself warning the church to be watchful. Why are we to be watchful? Because the Lord is going to come in an hour that we do not expect. And he will will hear a, a voice out of heaven, the trumpet of God, the Lord Jesus saying, come up here and it'll be harpazo, will be snatched away, will be caught up. Well, the harpazo in the Latin translation of the Bible, they took the Greek word harpazo and they translated as raptura or raptures where we get that word from. Paul speaks about this himself. A man, he says, and I believe he's talking about himself in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 and 4, where Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He used the same word, this man, whether in the body, whether in the flesh or in the spirit, Paul says, I'm not sure, but he was harpazo. He was caught up. He was snatched away. The difference between John and the apostle Paul, John heard inexpressible words which were not to be uttered, not lawful for him to speak. While John was commanded to write the things which he saw, Paul heard words which he could not express. John was commanded to write these things which he saw. Like John, true believers will one day hear the trumpet of God and be snatched away into heaven. Just think about that. It could be that the Lord will come and take us as he has since he resurrected from the grave. He has one by one taken his bride, the church, into heaven's glory. Just last Sunday, Lily and I were at a memorial service to one of my bosses that I work for who passed away about a month and a half ago, passed away in Florida. They held a service for him here in Illinois last Sunday. And it was really a wonderful memorial service to this man that lived Christ. And so many in his family are following Christ to this day because of this one man's testimony. Um, during the service, his son-in-law, who pastors a church down in Tennessee, said that the man's name was Bob, Bob Swenson. And Bob was mom's only son. And Bob and Joni, his wife, had four daughters, and four daughters got married, and there's like 20-something grandchildren, great-grandchildren. There was a host of kids running around that place. It was like going to church. It was really fun. I know it was a memorial service, but it was worship. But the pastor, as he was giving the eulogy, he said that Bob's mother at one time says, 
from one son all this, that God has brought such blessing from one son. And uh, we saw that. He told his, according to the uh, son-in-law who was given the message, who pastors the church in Tennessee, who, by the way, which I didn't know, I had a bite of the cookie. He was, uh, he won, he's a baker, and he won Martha Stewart's uh, cookie bake-off thing. So he's a famous baker, and he had cookies there, and I didn't even have one. Lily brought one and shared it with me. I went for candy when there was fresh baked goods there. I made a mistake. But uh, anyways, he said his future grandfather-in-law, the first time he met him, took him to the side. And uh, knowing that he was probably going to become family, talked to this young man. And he said at the end of the whole conversation, he says, when you take my granddaughter to be your wife, he goes, I do not want you to love her above all others. I want you to love Jesus above all others and her second. And that's how Bob lived his life. That's how we should live our life, to be a testimony to others. That the Lord has us here now to be that testimony. One day, we will hear the trumpet of God. Right now, the Lord has taken us one by one. One day, as the church of a whole, he'll take us into heaven's glory. But until that day, we are to be a light. We are to be a testimony. The Lord has us here in the day and hour that we now live to be a witness for him. And so John is caught up into the third heaven. Paul mentioned that I was caught up. I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But I was caught up into the third heaven. Paul didn't say it was himself. I believe he was talking about himself. So just briefly, what's it mean by the third heaven? Well, in the Bible, the first heaven refers to everything that we can see with our eyes from the earth point of view, where the birds and the airplanes fly. The second heaven is where the sun, moon, planet, and stars reside. And then the third heaven, throne room of God, God in his glory. So immediately he said, verse 2, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeding lightnings, thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So the heavenly throne room of God here, And John said, I saw one who sat on the throne when John was first brought into heaven. He said, I was in the spirit. And so where Paul said, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. John says, I know I was in the spirit. I was caught up into the heavenly throne room. His attention was immediately captivated by the throne of God, the one who sat on the throne. The one who sat there who was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And this rainbow of emerald rainbow, a green rainbow around the throne. 
he saw the 24 elders sitting there with their gold crowns. So there was a throne set in heaven. I've already mentioned a few things about that are going on in our world that, you know, we see things changing fairly rapidly. And we need to remember that though the world at times may be in chaos, there is one who sits on the throne. God is in control, even when our world may seem out of control. Soon this world, according to Jesus, soon this world will go through a time of great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus said that in Matthew 24, 21. Even so, the world's going to go through a time of great tribulation. God will be on his throne. God is on his throne. Isaiah, at a time when his world was flipped upside down, King Uzziah had died after ruling in Jerusalem for 52 years. We get a good president that goes for four or eight years, and we're saddened when his time is up. Can you imagine if, and we can't, all we could do is try to imagine to have someone who is ruling rightly for 52 years and suddenly he's gone. Isaiah's world was turned upside down. Uzziah had died 52 years on the throne. The Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pleser III, was threatening Israel, threatening their nation with war. It was a fearful time for the prophet Isaiah and the people of Judah. And while Isaiah concerned himself with these things, Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. No matter how bad things may get in this life, we need to always remember that God is on his throne. He is always in control. When our world may seem out of control, God is on his throne. One who sat on the throne, he described him as jasper and sardius stone. Precious stones have been used in connection to the throne of God before in the Bible. In Exodus 24, 9 and 10, Moses went up on the mountain with Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons. And the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel there. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 24:10, there under his feet, as it were, were a paved work of sapphire stone. And the very, like the very heavens in clarity. Stones have been used to describe the heavenly throne room, as in Ezekiel wrote about God's throne. He said, in the likeness of a firmament above, in Ezekiel 1, verses 22, also 26 and 27, he saw four living creatures like the color of awesome, awesome crystal. Man, there's crystal and then there's awesome crystal. Snatched out over their heads, above the firmament, over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness of appearance of a man high above it 
Also, from the appearance of his waist upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all within it. And even though a fallen creation of God, Satan, before he fell, he was described with precious stones in stone-like appearance, Ezekiel 28:13. This is before Satan's fall. Ezekiel 28:13, he said, "You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold." But Satan left his role as a cherub of God, having rebelled against the will of God. But the jasper and the sardius stone that John saw here in Revelation chapter 4, we find that these two stones were actually worn on the breastplate of the high priest. He had 12 stones on that breastplate. Two of them represented one. The sardius stone represented the tribe of Reuben, and the jasper stone represented the youngest of the 12 sons of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. It has been said that Jasper, being as clear as crystal, represents the glory of God, while the red of the sardius stone represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Around his throne, he saw this rainbow, this emerald rainbow, a green rainbow, not a multicolored rainbow, but a solid color in the appearance of emerald. A great reminder of where life comes. And there are people who really get into the green right now, right? The green initiative, uh, the green new deal. But there around the throne of God is true green, the emerald around the throne. The rainbow itself, the multicolored rainbow that we have from the Bible, first given to us in Genesis chapter 9. For God had promised in Genesis chapter 9, verses 15 and 17, He promised that the water shall never again come to flood or destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be set in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow, the sign of the covenant that God gave to all humanity. As we know today, especially this month, we've been reminded of it almost daily, that the LBGTQ plus has hijacked the rainbow. I was curious about when this hijacking of the rainbow took place, and I discovered this. Back in 1978, Gilbert Baker designed and made a flag for the homosexual community and San Francisco. Baker's original design had eight colors, and he assigned a meaning to each of the eight colors. Hot pink meant sexuality, red, life, orange, healing, yellow, the sun, green, nature, turquoise, art, indigo, harmony, violet, spirit. Now, they're in that community, they've had. You know, he had eight colors. They've had seven. They've had six. To be honest with you, I haven't counted. I don't know how many stripes they had. 
Remember when we cut down the oak tree out here and I purposely carved a cross into it? The cross fell down since then um, just because it rotted out the ants. Carpenter ants got to it. We tried to protect it, but they, you know, it's a living thing and they took it out so we don't have our cross out there anymore. But that was back in the day when Mackenzie, our granddaughter, our oldest of our grandchildren, she's 18 now, I can't believe it. She was an itty-bitty but able to speak and had her own opinion, and she thought, I'm going to paint the cross, that Papa should paint it like a rainbow. And uh, we just, she was right. The rainbow represents God's promise to all humanity, but they've hijacked it so much so that it's like, we can't do that, because if we paint that cross like the rainbow... Well, we'll have a whole different type of church group coming in. They'd only last one service when they'd hear me preach. So the rainbow flag to the LBGTQ, did I get it right? I don't know. Plus community is supposed to represent diversity, hope, and social action. But in reality, it's a symbol that's been hijacked right from the word of God. But there is a rainbow around the throne, and they can't hijack that one. God is on the throne. 24 elders were also present. He saw these elders, and from childhood, this is what I was taught. And I don't know, Sunday school, I mean, I went through it all. I had Sunday school training union, Baptist church. So Sunday night, Sunday school, basically. And church service. We didn't run anything at the same time. So Sunday school, church, training union, church, Wednesday night youth group or whatever class I was in, church for the adults. Three times a week at least I heard the word of God being taught a lot. So I came out of all that in the childhood. 24 thrones. Why, that would represent 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. I mean, that's just how I grew up understanding that. Without anybody doing any teaching that I know of, it just made sense to me. Some kind of wonder and question that, and we'll go through one of those. But in Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40, it says, All these things, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, talking about the saints of the Old Testament, Verse 40 of Hebrews 11, God having provided something better for us, talking about the church, the saints of the New Testament, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So there in Scripture, talking about the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New Testament coming together, being made perfect as one. And so I believe it's a theory of 12 thrones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ for the New Testament and the Old Testament being represented before the throne of God. We find this representation in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, verses 12 through 14. We find 12 foundation stones that had the names of the 12 apostles on them and 12 gates that had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel upon them. However, James Vernon McGee, J. Vernon McGee, 
taught the 24 elders stand for the total church from Pentecost until the rapture. So he did not include the Old Testament saints in this. Others have compared the 24 elders to the 24 divisions of priests that David gave there when he set up the temple worship as king. Others have seen the church as the royal priesthood. Personally, I believe it fits scripturally 12 thrones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 thrones representing the 12 apostles. You can have a different opinion. That's fine. I tell you this. We'll find out when we get there. You could either say, Pastor John, you were right. Or you could say, Pastor John, you were wrong. McGee was right. Or David was right. Notice that they were clothed in white. Lukos is the Greek word white. It means bright, shining, gleaming, brilliant white. One that would cause you to kind of get your shades on. It's so white. Jesus is seen in this in his transfiguration. The same word is used in Matthew 17, 2, when he became as white as light. Their garments speak about these 24 elders, what they were wearing, But we find, we have seen in the seven churches the importance of the white garments with uh, Sardis and the church there, those who would overcome. In Revelation 3, verses 4 and 5, they would walk with me in white, Jesus said. You would be clothed in white garments. To Laodicea, verse 18 of chapter 3 of Revelation, Jesus said, I counsel to you to buy from me white garments that you may be clothed. Revelation 7:14 we find the tribulation saints that their robes were washed and made white in the blood of the lamb so the white garments speak about the redeemed of the lord and the crowns upon their head stephanos is the greek word stephanos um stephen we get that name from there stephen the first martyr of the church It's a Greek word that refers to a wreath or a victor's crown. Think about the original Olympics and the garland that they wore. Or think about the crown of thorns, a Stephanos, that Jesus wore when he went to the cross. In the New Testament, several crowns are mentioned with the church. Here we find that they have crowns of gold. But also in 2 Timothy 4.8, there's a crown of righteousness 1 Corinthians 9.25, and an imperishable crown. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, a crown of rejoicing. 1 Peter 5.4, a crown of glory. James 1.13, a crown of life. Here we read of a crown of gold. But remember, in order for the saints to receive any of those crowns, Jesus first had to wear the crown of thorns that we might receive a crown of gold, imperishable crowns, crowns of rejoicing, crowns of righteousness, crowns of glory, crowns of life. Proceeding from the throne, there was lightnings, thunderings, and voices. John's description reminds us of God's great display of glory when Israel was in the wilderness. In Exodus 19.16, Moses said on the third day, in the morning there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people that were in the camp they trembled and so we've seen this great display of God's glory before 
But David reminds us in Psalm 68:35, Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. And the seven spirits before the throne. We've talked about this twice before since we've been in the book of Revelation. Seven spirits of God representing the Holy Spirit of God. One spirit described in seven different ways as found in uh, Isaiah 11, 2 describing the completeness or the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. One of the Bible commentators stated of the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit that there are three pairs of graces set forth as specifically manifested through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ that there was wisdom and understanding, speaking about the intellectual or moral apprehension, the ability to perceive moral or abstract truth. There was also counsel and might, the power at once to scheme and originate and to carry out that thought. Then there was the knowledge and the fear of the Lord or the acquaintance of the true will of God. All these were upon Jesus as the Spirit of the Lord was upon him when he ministered upon this earth. According to Luke 4, 18 and 19, it tells us the Spirit of the Lord was upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we need to remember, no matter how bad things may get upon this earth, no matter how bad things may seem, God is on the throne. God is always in control. And finally, the worship in heaven. We finish out with just John being captivated by the worship in heaven. I'm sure we will one day get this privilege as well. Verses 6 through 11, he says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature like a flying eagle, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. The author of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 8.5, that the temple or the tabernacle served as a copy or a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. We read in the scripture, the description of the tabernacle. We're getting a description, a copy of the heavenly throne room of God. He said there was there before the throne a sea of glass. In the temple layout of the tabernacle that was given to Moses, we find that within the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies 
where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat resided. These represented the throne of God. In the holy place, outside of the Holy of Holies, but still within the tabernacle, was the table of showbread, where upon the table there were 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. There was also the altar of incense, where the priest would burn incense day and night before the Lord. There was the menorah, the golden lampstand, the symbol of God's eternal light, but also if we learn in the book of Revelation, representing the seven spirits of God. Once outside the tabernacle proper, between the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made, and the temple was a bronze lavere, a washing pool, where the priest would symbolically wash before ministering there in the temple. So they had this sea of glass, we might say, a place where they washed before the Lord. Perhaps this being represented by that bronze lavere, this washing place for the priest, represented, symbolized by the sea of glass in God's heavenly throne room. The four living creatures, these living creatures are an order of angels that I believe called cherubim or a cherub. Cherubim is plural. In the Hebrew, it's just the plural form of cherub, meaning one angel, or a special class of angels. Cherubim were placed outside the Garden of Eden to guard the way in with flaming swords. That would really look cool, huh? Don't want to see it. You wouldn't want to see it. A couple of angels standing there with flaming swords twirling all about to keep men from entering in the garden of God. Ezekiel saw cherubim in his vision of the temple in Ezekiel 10 verses 1 through 22. Isaiah saw angelic beings. He called them seraphim, plural again. The, the M is a plural form in Isaiah 6, 2 and 3. And God even created Satan once again as one of these cherubs. Ezekiel 28, 14, and 15, it says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. Thankfully, not all of the angels fell from the grace of God. In the book of Revelation, we'll read of the great dragon, Satan, falling from the earth and his tail dragging a third of the stars with him. Satan took a third of the angels of God with him in that fall. But there were cherubim there before the throne. Some have pictured these cherubs, cherubim before the throne. The description of them as of the lion, the calf, the face of a man, and the flying eagle, these four faces. Some have seen this as the Gospels, and the four faces of Jesus as presented in the Gospels. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is presented as the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Mark's Gospel, he's presented as the servant or as an ox. In Luke's Gospel, he is 
we see the humanity of Christ, so the face of a man. And in John's Gospel, we see the deity of Christ, so the face of an eagle. And they were crying out, Holy, 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 the four living creatures not only stood in the heavenly throne room, but celebrated God's holiness day and night, crying out this threefold cry of holy, holy, holy. Not only speaking about the eternal nature of God, who was and is and is to come, but perhaps a picture of the triunity of God, crying out holy, 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 as it says in Isaiah 6, 3, is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Who was and is and is to come. God is eternal in his existence. God is, God was, and God is to come. God is not held by time like we are, but instead holds time in his hands. For God was there in times past. He is here in time present, and he'll be there in time future from our perspective. King Nebuchadnezzar would speak of the Lord saying in Daniel chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, Nebuchadnezzar saying, I make a decree in all the dominion of my kingdom that men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God, steadfast and forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure till the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. That was King Darius, not Nebuchadnezzar. But King Darius said that concerning the God that Daniel worshipped. And so the response in heaven, as he saw the four living creatures crying out, Holy, holy, holy. Then the 24 elders, verses 9 through 11, when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist And we're created. The chapter closes this beautiful picture of continuous worship before the throne. Look at this. The cherubim, the four living creatures, day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And every time they did this, every time the Cherubim cried out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The four and living creatures would come off their thrones. They would bow down before the Lord, cast their crowns before the Lord, and cry out, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And then the 24 elders would finish their worship, they would get up, they would grab their crowns, they would get back on their throne, they would sit down, put their crowns back on. And then the cherubim would go, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the 24 elders will look at one another and they would get off their thrones, they would bow before the Lord, they would cast their crowns down. And they would say once again, Worthy are you, O Lord. Receive glory, honor, 
this continuous worship before the Lord. We are not going to get tired of this. If you get tired of worship here on this earth, man, we got something to look forward to in heaven's glory. So don't get tired of it here on this earth. One last verse before we close. In Luke 21, verses 25 through 28, I guess a group of verses, Jesus said, there will be signs in the suns, sign in the moon, in the stars on the earth, distresses of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them from fear and the expectation of those things that are coming on the earth and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Luke 21, 28. Now these things, when they begin to happen, look up, lift up your head, because your redemption draws near. Truly, we are living in a day and age when we need to look up. We need to lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. Today we've seen in a message entitled The Heavenly Throne Room in Revelation chapter 4, we have seen in verse 1 a door open in heaven. And I'd mentioned at the close of this point, like John, true believers will one day hear the trumpet of God and be snatched away into heaven. In verses 2 through 5, we had a glimpse of the throne of heaven. And I'd said at the close of that point that no matter how bad things may seem upon this earth, we need to remember that God is on his throne and that God is still in control. And finally, in verses 6 through 11, we saw the worship in heaven. And truly, it is time for us to look up, to lift up our heads, for our redemption is drawing near. There's only one way to experience this worship in the heavenly throne room, and that's through the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead, church, and stand up together. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, we have a church motto. It's right behind me to my right of believe, receive, grow, and go. And we're going to go through this church motto together. And we begin with the belief, before we come to God, that we, we need to believe that God is... And we learn, and we say together, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. We have to believe that God is. Not just believing that there is a God, but also receiving God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And we say together, Romans 5:17, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5:17. It is necessary to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. But once saved, it's not merely an insurance policy to get you to heaven. Once saved, we need to grow in our faith. And we say together, 2 Peter 3.18, 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 3.18 And as we grow, we need to go. We need to share our faith with others. And we say together, Matthew 28.19 and 20 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28:19 and 20. For those who are here with us today, if you have a prayer need, please just let me know or let others here in the church know. Brothers and sisters, we are here to worship together, yes, but also to support one another, to pray for one another. So if you have a prayer need, you're here with us today, let us know, let me know, let Lily know, let others know, and we'll be praying for you, we'll pray for you, we'll lift you up. Also, if you're listening on the radio or through our social media, you can go to cclv at comcast.net and you'll find out information. Uh, that's the email address, actually. cclv at comcast.net. You'll be able to email us there, cclv.org. You can find out information about our church. Again, this coming Wednesday, Finding Grace. We'll be looking at Genesis chapters 5 through 6. Let's go ahead and we'll close out in worship. I want to close out in a word of prayer, and then I'll transition over to the guitar. And we're going to just pick up a worship song. We learned it last week. We'll find it in Revelation chapter 7, but one of the worship songs of heaven. We'll close out singing that today. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given us this day, and we pray, Lord, now that you bless us as we close out in worship. Lord, one day, as the church, we'll see this heavenly throne room, a scene that John described to us here in Revelation chapter 4. Until that day, Lord, help us to worship. Help us to know that you are on the throne. Help us to know, Lord, that you are he who was and is and is to come. Help us to always put our trust in you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.